God is good. This is why we come. We come to hear from God. This is why I come and preach. I say it so oftentimes that even when I preach, I hear myself and I preach to myself. So I need to listen as well, Brother Will. Amen? The Bible is a two-edged sword. It's first of all living and powerful and powerful. And it's like a living, it's a sword that cuts between spirit and soul, bone and marrow. It's the discerner of the thoughts and the heart. My prayer this morning is that it will discern your thoughts and your heart. Amen? Hallelujah. I want to talk to you today as we go in your study through the letter of John about this. Who is your father? Who is your father? We came to chapter 3 in the letters of John as we work through verse by verse. And you and I will be tested today. This is a question. And when we look into chapter 3, we look at what is the key verse in the chapter. We need to put everything in context. The way for reading the Word of God is context, context, and what? Context. Never ever take one single verse and read it and try to build a doctrine around it. We need to put it in context, then we need to put the chapter in context in the book or the letter, and then we need to take that letter and put it in context in the New Testament, then we take that in the New Testament and put it in context in the whole Bible. If you do that you will not go on error because context will help you. Our key verse today is in verse 10. He says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Have you noticed these two kind of children here? Hence I'm asking you this morning, Who is your father? I shouldn't go out there. Who is your father this morning? This is what I'm asking. The question is, who is your father? Because the Bible says now that there is two, there is two children. Who's your father? He says they are children of God and they are children of the devil. There's not, he is South African, he's Fiji, he is New Zealander, he is of Indian descent, he's of European descent. No, 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 that doesn't matter when God looks down upon us. He looks at two things, the children of God and the children of the devil. Who's your father this morning? And this is what this chapter goes about. He says, whoever does not, everybody say does not, practice righteousness. Practice righteousness. It means to do something is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. There's two things here. Two identifications for these two kinds of children. One is the child of God and one is the child of the devil. And I believe that you don't want to sit here this morning and go, I don't want to be the child of the devil. Do you want to be the child of the devil? Yet there's people who operate as children of the devil and they don't even know it. They don't even know it. And here are these two identifications. And then there's a test in chapter 3 that we're going to work through. There's the test of righteousness and there's the test of love. Those are the two tests in chapter 3 that he gives us. A true child of God practices righteousness and he loves other Christians, you know, despite of their differences. This is what he's going to come to. You practice righteousness and you love other brothers and sisters. And who knows that we differ? Who knows that we can differ on a lot of things? Who knows that? Is it only me? 
I mean, we were brought up out of different cultures. We were brought up out of different schools of thought. Some came through Pentecostal backgrounds, you know, Presbyterian, Baptist backgrounds. Is all of that mattering in the bigger scheme of things of righteousness and love? Now, I'm by far not preaching a one-world religion here. That's by far, you know me by now. But what it is all about and coming down to is practicing righteousness and practicing love. And this is what he's going to talk to us in this chapter. Now, I don't know if you all know this song. Now, I was thinking about this song when I was younger. This is from the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones. And these people said, I can't get no satisfaction. And I can just see your head shaking here because some people are now starting to go into the melody. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it because this is a church. Yes. And he says, I can't get no satisfaction. And I try. And I try. And I try. But guess what? I can't get no satisfaction. And this is the world because the world preaches for itself. So many people today are looking for satisfaction in a lot of things. They look in booze, they look in friends, they look in possessions. But at the end of the day, at the end of their life, they will come to the point where they're going to say these words, I just can't get satisfaction. I want more if I have plenty. I want more friends. I want all these friends to do what I do. I said it to somebody the other day. I said, I'm so glad there's only one John Shipman in the world because I can't face another John Shipman. <laughs> I can't handle another John Shipman. But this is it, you know. People are walking around. And, and may I say to you, may I say to you this morning that even in churches there are Christians who sit there who can't get no satisfaction. Or shall I say, shall I say, so-called Christians. And they try so hard. So many, there is so many people who's even preaching it from pulpits now to try harder. Isn't that right, Will? Just try a little bit harder, Brett. Just, just do a little bit more, Glenn. Why? Because we want, to, we want to be a little bit more holy. We want to be a little bit, and at the end of the day, when you do it out of your own power and strength, my friend, I'm telling you, you will not get any satisfaction. Because spiritual things are discerned, what? Spiritually. Not with this body and not with anything that will satisfy this body. This is why I love it when we go over and we read what uh, David says in Psalm 4 verse 5. He says, offer the sacrifices of what? Say it again. Say it louder. He says, offer the sacrifices of righteousness. And put your trust in whom? In the Lord. I can't get no satisfaction. I hear you and I believe you. But herein lies the problem. You are looking at the wrong place for satisfaction. Amen? You don't have to say amen. That's the truth. And here he comes out and he says there's two things for David. He says, offer sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, everybody say many. There are many who say, who will show us any good? You see, they're chasing for more. Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us because that's where it's coming from. And now he says in verse 7, you have put gladness in my heart. 
More than. Everybody say more than. In the season that their grain and wine increased. So that tells me there's no satisfaction in the increasing of grain and wine, but there is satisfaction and gladness in whom? In the Lord and in sacrifices of righteousness. And this is not works. We will get to that in a moment. Think about that. Selah, pause. Where are you sitting here this morning seeking your satisfaction from? Where are you seeking your gladness from? You come to me and say, I'm so, so tired, I'm run down. Oh Lord, come, I can't handle this world anymore. Maybe you are sick and you're tired and you are run down because you are seeking your satisfaction, even in church at the wrong place. You will only find it in Christ. Yeah? You see in Psalm 17 verse 15, he continues to say, he says, As for me, I will see your face in what? In righteousness. I will be satisfied. The world's crying out, I can't find no satisfaction. David says, I found satisfaction when I awake in your what? In your likeness. Likeness to be like Christ, to be like Him. And now we continue down in our verse. We start now in verse 4. He says in 1 John verse 4, he says, Whoever commits a sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You see, when we look at these words here and we go into the Greek and we find out that words commits there, it is one who lives continually and habitually in sin. This is somebody who continues in their sin. They come and they say, I'm a Christian, but you look at their lifestyle. And because when you talk about righteousness, it talks about your lifestyle. Not what you say, but how you live. This is what righteousness is all about. And he says here, whoever commits, he continues in sin continually. He do the same thing over and over and over again. Feels sorry about it. And when he feels sorry about it, he feels convicted. And his conscience is sheared. And then what happens? Then he goes to the Lord and he says, Oh, I'm sorry. God is not interested in your sorriness. He's interested in your confession of the sin and let it go. Leave it. Walk away from it. He says, He, the one who commits this, who continue in sin. Now, the word there for sin is the Greek word hamartia. Hamartia is to miss the mark. And the mark of God is obviously His law, but not only the Ten Commandments, there are plenty there. There are plenty to follow. It's in your Bible, it's in the Word. And this is why later in the New Testament, the Word is like a mirror that when we read the Word, what changes? What changes when you read the Word? Who do you see the reflection of in the Word? You see Jesus in the Word of God. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, every single book, every chapter, every letter is Jesus Christ and His likeness. And every time we study this word, we look into this mirror, who changes? He doesn't need to change because He is righteous. Who needs to change? Come on, let me hear it. I need to change. And who is changing? I am changing. And this is what Armatia does. You see, Armatia means this is, the, this is the likeness of Christ. And I need to change, but I look into that. And every single time when I continue in my habitual sins, which I do, I am missing the mark. And, and this is the thing. 
The word means to walk away from the law of God. To walk away. How far are you down the road now of been walking away from it? Oh, but I'm saved. Yes, I know that. We will get to that in a minute. You see, we need to understand. And, and by the way, when it says there he commits sin, he means that you are lawless. That means that you're operating without the law, outside of the law. If you're going to break the speed limit here on this road and there's a police officer there, he's going to pull you over. There's consequences for breaking the law. And here is the thing that you need to understand. When you are lawless, you are not only breaking the law, but you are rebelling against the lawmaker. Who's the lawmaker? It's God. Are you a rebel? Do you want to be a rebel? Stop these habitual sins. And now we continue in verse 5. He says, and you know that he was manifested. He is a capital letter that talks about Jesus Christ. He was manifested. Manifest means he came to live amongst us physically to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. This is really interesting when you read through this. Because he says he was manifested to take away our sin. This is why Christ came. To do what? To take away our sin. And when he talks about taking away our sin there, it means that he bore the penalty of our sin on the cross. Isn't that what he did? That was the penalty of sin. He went to the cross and the justification for you and for me comes because he took our guilt upon him on the tree. That's the justification. Whenever you hear about the word justification and penalty, it's set in a law scene where there is, a, there is somebody, there's a judge who's going to judge, and you are guilty whether you like it or not. Everybody sitting in this place were born in the old nature, which is a sinful nature. David says we go astray as soon as we are born speaking lies. It says further on, there's no one good, not one. So there's nobody who can sit here and say, hey, look, you know, you may be better than me, but there's no one good. The second thing that he takes away is not only the penalty of sin, but Christ takes away the practice of sin. The practice of sin. That's what he does. Penalty and practice. How does he take the practice away? Again, we study him, and the more we become like him, then he goes on to say, he who abides in him do what? He does not sin. Now I'm going to get to that in a minute because there's so many people who want to misuse that passage there. We do not sin, he says. In verse 7 he says, little children. He's now talking about righteousness, that first test, remember? Who are you calling your father? God or the devil? Then yes, this church still preaches sin and he still preaches it as it is in the Bible, isn't it? We're not going to soften it. He says, little children, let no one deceive you because there's a lot of deceivement going on. Remember when he wrote these words, back in the day there was this Gnostics who came into the church. And the Gnostics said two things, main things there. They said that Jesus Christ never became a human because God is holy and he can never walk in human sinful nature. That was the first thing they said. And secondly, they said that this body is fine if you continue to do body in the body sin. Because if your soul is the one which is pure and which cannot sin. And this is what they used. So he's writing to these people now and he's correcting that now. He gives them that teaching there. 
He says, he who practices righteousness is righteous. He's talking to little children here. Have you noticed? Who's the little children? It's the church. It's the fellowship. It's the saints. He says to the people like you sitting in church, he says to them, he who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he, Jesus, is righteous. Because who came, who came in and take a dwelling place within you? The Holy Spirit and Christ within us. Yes, He is righteous. And then He goes on and He says in verse 8, He who sins is of whom? The devil. And so there you find it. The children of God and the children of the devil. But now He says, He who practice righteousness is righteous as He is righteous. And then He says, He who sins going back to Armatia, going back to missing the mark, going back to being lawless in a spiritual sense, is of the devil. There's no softening of the words here. He says it as it is, as we should say it. And he says, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And let's shout hallelujah. He came to destroy the works of the devil. It's not you and my work to try and destroy the works of the devil. He's already came to destroy the works of the devil. I think it is so clear, isn't it? And now we continue in because we're going to come to a point now he's going to make. In verse 9, he says, Whoever has been born of God, in other words, these are now the children of God, does not sin. For... His seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. Now, this is where it gets really, really interesting. This verse here, because he uses these words very strongly here. He says he does not and he cannot sin. And he's talking about the children of God. He says, whoever has been born of God, born of God. And I remind you what it says in John chapter 1 verse 12. He says, for those who have received uh, Jesus Christ, who have received Him, to them He gave the power, the dunamis, to become the children of God, who were born not out of the flesh, not out of the will of man, but the will of God. Born of God. You can't born yourself. God borns you to spiritual birth. But now He says an interesting thing here. He says, those who are born of God. Can I just see the hands here who is born of God, who believe, one hundred the same? He's talking about you. Now he's turning to you and he says that you do not sin and you cannot sin. Is that true? Is that true? But he says it. He says it clearly there. But you and I know, because we've already went through the first chapters of this letter, didn't we? We know that Christians do sin. Who knows that? I know that for certain. Christians do sin. But here, Paul comes and he says, uh, John comes and he says, Whoa, no, no, they cannot sin. What is he on about? What is he talking about? You see, from time to time, I've met in my life over the times that, that I had the privilege of preaching the Word of God, I run into some people who say that they have gone beyond the ability to sin. Have you met people like that? They went beyond the ability 
They're talking about a sinless perfection. Have you heard about that? Maybe you've heard about that one. They say, we are now so perfect, we, we don't sin anymore. They've arrived at a place where there is nothing they do that is sin. And it's obviously that you would be very difficult to live with people like that. It is tough to live with people who come to that point. Because I can tell you now, because they've reached that utopia place in their spiritual life, that they will always look down upon you who still haven't reached that place. It is so difficult. And, and let me tell you, it is so difficult to sit around the Word of God, even on I talk out of experience, and to open up the Scriptures, because all the Scriptures that comes back to you comes out of context, one verse at a time. And when you put it into context, they say, but you do not understand this is what you call the revelational knowledge it's something that i've heard from god direct yes it's tough to live with people like that and this is what they say and they come to this verse they say it says it right there i cannot sin and you know all that this does it creates within people a spiritual pride that's all he does it's a pride that comes inside of people and they would call you carnal. They would call you every single thing under the name uh, that they can find. Because they've reached this utopia, this place. And it's always easy for prideful people or a prideful person to call somebody else who he sees as prideful. Let, let, let me just say that again. Maybe I said that too fast. Somebody who's sitting with a prideful heart is always the first one who will call out somebody else who's prideful. And this is what, what it comes down to now is this verse here. And it's, they say, look, we've reached this. And this is what John says here. He says, I doesn't matter what I do. You know, if, if I do do sin, it's not sin. No, that's not what he says. We, we've learned here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, that the same John said to, to us, if we say we have no sin, we do what? We deceive ourselves. And you remember when I preached that sermon, there's three who you deceive. You deceive yourself, you try to deceive the people who you have fellowship with, and you try to deceive God. You can't. You can't lie to yourself. But they work their conscience in such a way that they're happy to live with that fallen state or that sinful nature. He says, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. And, and do you remember, do you remember when we came to chapter 2, verse 1, that John write to these same children, these Christians, he said, and if you do sin, we have a what? An advocate. We have somebody right now, He intercedes for us. This is now understandable you go but this is now so confusing uh, preacher what are you talking about now you say in the one time that we cannot sin and now you say that we can sin so so what is going on here what is he talking about well i'll tell you what it is when he's talking about it he's talking about a habitual sinful life that you continue living it's a lifestyle that you choose which is away from god it is a lifestyle when people look upon your life and you say you're a Christian, you're a child of God, but you continue and you look just like the world. He's talking here about righteousness, the way you live continually. He's not talking about one sin that you do and you are so convicted about that sin that you come to the cross and you confess of it. I've had a man in New Zealand approach me, a young man, and uh, 
he was so worried. He approached me, we sat down, we talked about this, and he said, he, he just, he's just so worried about, you know, the Lord being angry with me. I said, what happened? And he told me what he did. And I said, that's terrible. Yes, he admitted it's a sin and so on. I said, firstly, you don't confess to me, you confess to God because you sin to God. You don't sin to man. You do restitution with man. And then, and he says, he says, but I, I'm so afraid the Holy Spirit has left me. You see, he still couldn't understand the new testament concept and principle about the holy spirit he was still in the old testament where he's seeing the song oh please don't take the holy spirit from me he didn't understand then i explained to him and and he said but can you tell me one thing outside of the word but can you show me one thing that shows that the holy spirit is not away from me and i said the fact that you're sitting here talking to me about it shows me that the spirit of god is still working in your life it is when you go to a point where you don't even worry about these things, you don't even go on your knees, you don't even feel guilty about it anymore. That's when you should get worried. So he talks here about a continuous. Uh, he emphasizes that he's, we are born again and we've got a new nature now. And because we've got a new nature now, what's happened? We cannot sin. Because when we're going to sin, it's going to bring us back to God. You know, you talk about the prodigal son. Who knows the prodigal son? He went away. So what happened with the prodigal son? He constantly wanted to go back to his father. Why? Because he, 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 he could have sat there amongst the pigs and just stay there. But he was drawn by the conviction to go back to the father. And this is what he's talking about here. When we are born, when we are born from God, the conviction the Holy Spirit lives in us, and He will not let us go when we sin. He will constantly remind you, convict you, because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You sit here this morning and you say to me, I'm so frustrated in my Christian life. I get so frustrated because, uh, you know, it just doesn't feel. It's maybe because you stand with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And the Holy Spirit is convicting you. John is straightforward, isn't he? I love it when he's straightforward. Now he says in verse 10, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. How is your righteousness practicing this morning? How is it? Now I want to refer you back. I preached in depth about practicing righteousness a few weeks ago. Go and find it and listen to it again. Practice righteousness. And I say it again. You can fake the fruit, but you cannot fake the root. The root when you are born again is whom? It's Jesus Christ who comes and lives inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And what happens? He is righteous. And righteousness comes in. And now that righteousness, Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, produces the fruit. It's not your fruit. You can't produce the fruit of the Spirit. You can't produce any one of those fruits. You need to give over to the Holy Spirit to work in you because you are His workmanship. He works in you on a daily basis to do what? To change you into the image of, your, of His Son. And how does He do it? He does it through the fruit that work in you. You were nasty to somebody. You didn't show love. You walked away from that and immediately you felt guilty. What does it show you? It showed you that he wanted to produce the fruit of love out to the world, but you stopped it, and now you're walking away, and he's teaching you straight away. Am I talking to real people here this morning? We need to allow the Spirit to work in our lives. 
And if we allow Him, what's going to happen? You can go and read Galatians 5.22 over and over again. It's not fruits. It's not a plural. It is a singular. It is fruit of the Spirit. You either have it of you or you don't. And so many, they put on fake personas on the outside, but there's no root. And it doesn't last for long. You see, we, want, we need to change into the image of His Son. We want to change, I want to change daily. Even if I'm preaching this sermon, even when I go and I pray again this afternoon and tonight and tomorrow morning, once I open up my Bible, I read the words of Christ. I, I have the mind of God. I say, Lord, change me into the image of Your Son. Change me into the image of Your Son. Why? Because it's going to produce more fruit of righteousness. I'm going to practice that righteousness. Not only that, I'm also going to walk in love walk in love I came across this and I hope this work and enjoy it for a few moments I be more like you Jesus I want to be more like you is that you this morning I want to be a vessel I want to be more like you. Sing it with me, sir. I want to be more like you. Jesus, I want to be more like you. I want to be a vessel. We had them for the afternoon. And I was sitting with that boy. He's turning five. And doesn't matter what I say. His dad is always better. <laughs> he's faster. Well, that's a fact now. <laughs> he's stronger. His car is better. Because it's got two turbo buttons. Mine has got one turbo button. But when I look at that boy and when I see him and, and little Michael and they look up at their dad and they just want to be like their dad. I want to be as strong as my dad. I want to be my dad. I wonder if that's you when you see God and you say every time I read in the word of God, I want to be like him. Look, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not in false teaching who says you become a small messiah. No, no, no. No, no. I want to be like Him. I want Him to change me into the image of Him daily so that I can live this life of righteousness. Because here is the thing. Who's the fruit for that comes out of the fruit of righteousness? Who's that fruit for? Is it for you? No, no. A tree produces fruit for others to come and take that fruit and eat it. How much fruit have you got this morning? As, 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 as you're going to walk out of here and we're going to have fellowship and you stand there... How much fruit is there naturally produced by the Holy Spirit for you to be an encourager as we're going to go next door? Uh, 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 have you got the eyes to see somebody who sit there on their own and walk over there and say, my brother, my sister, I'm with you. You see, this is what I mean. Once you've got the root of righteousness, the fruit will produce, but you need to allow it to happen. The second test here that I want to go through is the test of love. And we know all of this I preach. And in fact, John wrote so much about love. He says in verse 11, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love 
one another. We should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's works were righteous. You see, once you start producing righteousness and you see the fruit of righteousness, you will have the children of the devil who do not like that. They will not like that. And here is what happens. You see, his works were evil. So he didn't produce any works of righteousness. And, and look, I can go into that, but I'll just give you the highlight here. Why was Cain rejected and Abel accepted? Because Cain was disobedient. If you go back, there needed to be a blood sacrifice to the Lord. Cain came and he had produced from the land. He, was a, he, 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 he grew his, his produce out of the land, out of his own efforts. And he brought his own efforts before the Lord as a sacrifice. But Abel listened to what his father said. And he brought a lamb, he brought an animal with blood and fat and produced it to God. And the obedience is what God looked. You see, again, we look at the fruit of righteousness. Abel produces fruit of righteousness and it was acceptable to God. Cain came in his own righteousness. He came in his own works and put his best foot before the Lord. And it was rejected and was seen as the works of evil. And this is... This is how we know who, you know who really love God if people love one another and what they produce. Verse 13, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Who knows that? Is it only me? Is that true? Do not marvel. <gasps> the world hates me. Oh, come in here on every Sunday. Oh, the world hates me. You, know, you didn't know what my colleagues said when they heard I'm a Christian. Hello? John said, do not marvel. Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. He says, don't marvel about this. You're going to show love and the world don't want your love. They rejected Christ for his love. We know that we have passed from death to life. Because he who loves the brethren is he who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you do not know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And this is so... This is so, such a strong word because he says, if you do not love, you are a murderer. That is tough. That is hard words. And I reckon a lot of people even in the church needs to hear this. Because love, lovelessness goes into hate and hate produces murder. And he says it here. How is your love this morning? How is your love this morning? How do you abide? Somebody did you something in. They said something bad against you. But they are a brother and a, and, and a saved Christian. You know, I, I sometimes say when Christians have fights amongst each other and, and, and they separate, that's the easiest thing to do, isn't it? To break fellowship. I, I, I don't like what you say. I, I disagree over this part in the Bible. We're going to break fellowship now. And you'll find any reason you can in the Bible to break and to, and to satisfy that fellowship right. You, I mean, if you want to have a reason, you'll find it. People read the Bible like that. They go, you know, this person said this to me now. Let me just see where that verse is. Where's that verse? Wait a minute. I'm going to tell you now. Where's that verse? Where's that? Yeah, it says here that verse. Well, it's out of context in the first place and it doesn't carry love. But, but it's so amazing to me that people will break the fellowship 
And, and even, listen to me now, and I speak from the heart here, even if somebody in the church, for whatever reason, gets blown up and they go to another church, and now people walk in the street, the two who used to be brothers and sisters and love each other and hug each other, and whoa, it's just great. And now all of a sudden they see each other, and, but you're not in my church anymore, and I'm not going to talk to you. And I'm, I'm talking out of experience. I'm not telling you something here. Now, now this is the fascinating thing for me. If both of them are saved, what are they going to do in heaven? Because I don't know if you've noticed, there's no shops in heaven where you can just quickly dive in to duck somebody. What are you going to do? Are you going to sit here? Are you honestly going to sit here in one side of heaven and go, Oh, no, no, you remember that, that thing we've had 20 years or 150 years ago. And... Uh, no, no, we've got your, still your small little group here. Is that how you think heaven is? I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, these people who've done stuff against me over the time, I've forgiven them. And you know what? God bless their hearts. I pray for them that the Lord will make them to grow in grace. And I've got nothing. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to see them in heaven because animosity will be gone. I, I, I should just come back to the word. It is so fascinating. He says, he who does not love his brother abides in death. The, what's, the, what's the opposite of love? It's death here in this passage. Because love brings alive. Love lifts people up. Love encourages. Love sees others better than himself. Love, love is just somebody who comes and you know those people, don't you? I mean, I'm talking about it and you've got a few people you can think about immediately. And what is the opposite of that? That is death. That is death bringing somebody down that's breaking them down that's telling them always about their mistakes and telling them how inferior they are to you but don't you know that the bible says that god uses the dumb things of the world to put to shame the clever things in the world amen be careful <laughs> because this is the two things you will see which will which will put you either as a child of God or will manifest you as a child of the devil it is righteousness and it is love and and it is it's so easy listen to me it's so easy to take a sledgehammer to this building and break it down it's so I can do it I can give it to to somebody who's got no skill to do it all you need to do you take that sledgehammer and you give those blows in bang 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 anybody can do it but it takes somebody with skill to build stuff up and, and you know what skill it takes to build? Guess what? Love! And the love he's talking about here, by the way, is agape love, which means it's a sacrificial love. It means you give. L listen to me. This is the love. Somebody had it in a song somewhere. Love hurts. This is the kind of love that really hurts. Some people give. Listen to me. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it as it is. Some people give love in the overflow they give love because it's in the overflow. No, no, no. It's when you start giving love when it's not in the overflow. And that love hurts you. That's the real love. That's the love that Jesus Christ gave. Because He could have done it in the overflow. He's God with us. He didn't have to have all of those stripes and the pain on the cross. No, no. He didn't do it in the overflow. He went and it hurted Him. And He says here, if you do not do that, you abide in death and you are a murderer in verse 16 he says by this we know love how do we know love then john because he laid down his life for us i think i went a little bit before myself that's in scripture and the word is better than me 
He says, and, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Selah. But whoever, everybody say whoever, has the world's goods. Have we got them? Oh, come on. Have we got them, church? The fact that you are sitting here this morning is that you've got some of the world's goods. Some have got more of the world's goods than others. But he says, he says but we have, who have the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? This is a question. It's a very good example. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. It's so easy to do that, but in deed and truth. It's an action. Who knows that love is an action? Love is an action. It's not words you use. And by this we know that we are in the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if your hearts condemn us, God is greater than your hearts and knows all things. Can somebody call my wife? I'm nearly finished with the last verse. He says that in verse 21, Beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. May I ask you the question this morning, if anything happens to you today, have you confidence that when you open up your eyes the next moment, it could be in five or ten moments, and you look into the eyes of the Son of God, those fiery eyes that the book of Revelation talk about, will you have confidence to look Him in His face and then to speak your mind? Remember I preached about this two weeks ago. 1 John chapter 2 verse 28 and 29. You can only have confidence towards Him <clears throat> if your heart is not condemning you. He says in verse 22, And whatever we ask, receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Verse 23, And this is the commandment. What is the commandment, John? That we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ. That's it. Believe. And. Everybody say and. Where's my little grandchildren? I say to them, I've got a turbocharge and a supercharge. This is the and. He says we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another. Oh, I'm saved. I believe. Hallelujah. I'm a Christian. Who are you? No, no, no. You're not part of our circle. If I walk into a church, and you will know what I'm talking about, and there's these small little clicks. You know what a click is? Oh, I see a lot of people see that. <laughs> if there's all these little, little groups. Hey, we're a Christian church. You might as well take the name Christian out of your church's name. Because love abounds more and much more. How much more? How much more did the love abound? He poured out His love into our hearts. So it's not even your love. It's whose love? Think next time. Think next time when somebody's friendly to you and you stand there and you just give them the cold shoulder. Who knows the cold shoulder? Just think next time. Because brothers and sisters, let's be honest today. It may be okay for you. It may be okay for your little group. But there's two things you need to remember here. It is not okay for God. Hallelujah. And, and, you must remember that you're standing in a church where there's little children who look at your actions and not your words. 
<laughs> and look, you can fool me, but you can't fool a child. Because I look at you. And I look silently at you. How many times in our ministry have we dealt with young children? And they are damaged. Because of the pride and the hardness of the parents. He says it there. This is his commandment. He, look, don't come and talk to me about the Ten Commandments and all of these things that you follow. I, I get it. It's not abolished. It's been fulfilled. You can hold them religiously as much as you want to. But this is the commandment I'm standing on. Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Love is a commandment. And by the way, love is a choice. It's not a feeling. Oh, I'm going to walk in here now. I've got a feeling for the church. You, you know what I'm talking about? You, you live with somebody, you're married for them so long, and you know by the moment they put their foot out of the bed, what, what do you need to do today? Because they're either in a good or a bad mood. The weather depends that, or how, the food I ate last night depended, or how I slept depended. No, no, no. Love is always the same. Because it's a commandment. It's got nothing to do with your feelings. It's got nothing to do with your mindset. It is a decision. I decide to love you with the love of God. And now he says, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. If you're not going to keep those commandments, you will not abide in him. And again, I don't, I, I, I don't want to you know, advertise all the sermons, but I did preach a very good sermon in this series about abiding in him. And he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Amen and Selah. Have we learned something today? Two tests. The test of righteousness and the test of love. And by this we will know the children of God and the children of the devil. And I tell you what, brothers and sisters, if you haven't come to the cross yet, I haven't got good news for you. Let's be serious here this morning. And for those people who listen online, if you sit there and these things operate in your life and it's habitual and all of these things, I'm not saying you're not saved. But you are the one who needs to go on your knees and talk to the Lord and let the Holy Spirit convict you. You want to, listen to me very carefully, you want to be the child of God and not drink of the cup of wrath that will come. With that warning, we will pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. And Father, as I preach the word, I myself stand convicted under your word. And I pray, Lord, that the word will also work in my heart in the next week and the weeks to come. Oh, Lord, please help me every day to allow your Holy Spirit to work in me. Every day as I study your word, identify things in my life which is not righteous. The Father, as I identify, I know in my place I won't be able to do it to myself, but I pray, Lord, for your dunamis power, <coughs> your Holy Spirit power, to help me to be a victor. The Father, as we move forward as a church, I pray, Lord, that love and righteousness be evident amongst us. Not to become prideful, Lord, because that in itself is the essence and the root of deceitfulness. So, Lord, I pray, help everybody here today. Help me, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.